You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical Lydia today's show we're going to be doing the year 2000 hit question mark the cell like a psychological horror drama the cell where does it really fit I know it doesn't really fit into horror proper is this the least horror film that we've ever done it's the least horror film we've ever done I think so you know until we turn around and do the fantastic planet animation from 1973 that will probably be the least horror <laughs> horrific yes but i'm wearing my destroyer scene shirt because i figured Whoa. we'd destroy the scene and cover a not horror film the this is, upstarts that we are this is the dadaism of podcasting for horror lydia yeah. we have smashed the concept of art it doesn't belong in a frame art is where you see it horror is where you see it and some people see a lot of horror in Damien Hirsch, you know, the, the guy who chops horses in half and stuff like that. I went and saw his exhibit when Pop Art was here at the at the gallery. And being a horror fan, that's really all I went for. Mm. So you can be a horror fan and come to this film for that, mm-hmm. you know, for the horse. That, that's what a lot of people remember. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the idea of this being lost in, in the mind of a maniac. That's pretty horrific. There's some pretty horrific scenes, you know, I think. So... Does it necessarily live in the horror genre? Not entirely, but hence the Destroyer scene shirt. Because they're a band that doesn't necessarily live in punk rock either, because it's a bass and drum duo from mm-hmm. here in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. They don't play a lot of shows. They play mm-hmm. very few shows, to the point that people would almost be like, well, do you even consider them a band? Yes. Because they <laughs> call themselves a band, and they have t-shirts. I'm wearing one as proof. Wow. But, yeah, because so you're not confused. Destroyer scene is two words, destroyer and scene. And underneath the logo, which is a skull and crossbones quite properly, it says destroy your scene. Just so mm. you're not confused as to the point of... They they usually just went to other people's shows and caused shit and got kicked out. Well, I mean, everyone has their good qualities. Yeah. It's like when hardcore metalheads all really like Ghost, right? Uh-huh. And, and even though Ghost sounds so different from probably every other band that they listen to and like... But I think it's the pageantry, like the pageantry of Vincent D'Onofrio. Who's somebody you wouldn't peg as, as as being able to pull off a very fantastical character, but he does really get into his roles, and here is no exception. I love him in this, love him very much. I agree. Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, over the years, has had an up-and-down career, but has really come into his own. He's very in right now because of his stint on... The, the very popular uh, Netflix Daredevil series. He plays the Kingpin, and he is the thing to watch in that. The scariest comic book villain I've ever seen. When that, when Vincent D'Onofrio, and we all know when, when old Vinny turns on that rage in this hulking figure in that show, it is fucking terrifying. I've never been scareder. Of anybody. I, I thought he might slap me through the screen or something. He was so fucking scary in that show. 
So yeah, I, I I mean I always remembered him from Full Metal Jacket. That yeah. was like my Vincent D'Onofrio performance and that intensity in that last moment of his character's life in that movie. But holy fuck, Kingpin, it's all that. You just think that he's just gonna throttle the life out of you. But in this, you get to see him play this fantasy character. This is something that is so hard to really put a pin on because he plays a serial killer. He plays a vulnerable iteration of that serial killer. And then he plays these larger than life. It's like Genghis Khan styled. 70s album cover demons. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and stylized quite wonderfully by Tarson Singh. The This is his directorial debut who went on to do... Uh, R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion is the, yes. the more famous video that he did. We did a bunch of other fantasy films, and I would have liked to see him do more horror in a way, especially with these you know, weird smash cuts and his strange lighting schemes and the strange camera angles, all very music video inspired, but not something that you'd ever look at this and accuse him of making one long music video that I'm using air quotes because people accuse a lot of directors of doing just mm-hmm. that. The, but, cut, the cuts are too long in this film to get that criticism. No, exactly. It's very cinematic. Mm-hmm. It's very, very cinematic. And he knows what he's fucking doing. So mm-hmm. I would have liked to see him do more psychological horror in this mm-hmm. vein. Um, but whatever. We have The Cell. I'm happy with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm in that headspace. Now, the first time I ever saw The Cell, I was seeing a lot of movies. I saw this when I was in high school. Probably grade 10, maybe going into grade 11. At the time. And I used to go to the movies every single weekend with my friends. And it was real simple. We saw everything. Just everything. Any time that a movie premiered, it didn't matter. I I would see all kinds of genres. Everything from... Hot Tub Time Machine? Anything. From Bring It On to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon to American Beauty. Like It was just we saw everything. And we would see multiple films in a day. What we used to do, if you must know, is we would pay for one movie and then we'd sneak into the rest. So we would see like one or two movies at least every time that we went in there. And we saw The Cell because why wouldn't we see The Cell? The trailers were all over TV. And Jennifer Lopez was in right then. Yeah, super in. She had... You know, she had been in Living Color, and then she'd done some acting roles, and she was in Anaconda, I do remember that. And uh, she was in that Robin Williams movie, Jack, just very minor roles. And then, all of a sudden, she broke in huge, because she had a whole bunch of, a whole string of musical hits that were all over the pop scene and the top 40 variety. And then, all of a sudden, she was just starring in, you know, like, Made in Manhattan and a bunch of, like, this type, that type of crap. But... They decided to do a thriller with her, like they've done a lot of times. I mean, Halle Berry did Gothica, and they have this habit of putting well-known actresses in roles, which are in films that are pretty effing dark. Like, you know, you always forget that they're making snuff movies in Gothica, because you just remember, oh yeah, that Halle Berry movie. And in this, the idea of going into someone's mind, and this film captured me and my friend's imagination. We used to talk about this movie all the time, about how it would be so cool 
what would it be like going inside this person's head or that person's head? My friend who was a huge Batman fan, he wanted to, he's like, they should do a Batman story like this where they trying to go inside some of the rogues gallery's head. And what would that be like? What imagery could you create with that? But then it went away. Like it was one of those things that we were talking about intensely for like a couple of weeks after we saw it. But then, you know, teenage minds go elsewhere. Not like The Matrix, where people are still talking about it all the time. Because I do liken this to Dreamscape in The Matrix. Or yes. They, they're they meeting somewhere in between with Seven or something. Yeah. Well, The like, Matrix came out a year after, a year before this. Yeah. Right? And so we were very much, oh, this is what's capable with new camera rigs and CGI and all of this experimental filmmaking. What counts as action shots from... The drastic difference about what counts as visual stimulation in 1998, and then The Matrix happens. Look at any action sequence, look at any special effects sequence, the invention of bullet time. It dramatically changed cinema. And I think The Cell benefited from that because I don't know. I, I guarantee you that someone said Matrix somewhere in, in that pitch just by the fact that, like, oh, because it's going to be weird. Well, just like, to how to describe this yeah. dreamscape and how to describe the differences in time mm-hmm. and the differences in camera speeds. But what's crazy is the, the last time I saw this film was in the theater. Mm-hmm. And then the next time I saw this movie was with you just moments ago. <laughs> yeah. And I had f- remembered a fair bit, forgotten a hell of a lot. And remade a sequence that doesn't <laughs> exist in the film whatsoever. Which is fine. You know, it probably still would have fit. Like, you yeah. got from point A to point B in the plot with your made-up scene. <laughs> which is actually a little more a little more fantastic than what actually happened. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's, it's, it's true. Although, I guess if you had that sort of chronic illness, would you not always make sure you had aspirin? At the very least. I felt like, I, I was like, oh, there's no aspirin in this bottle. By the time it's someone with that condition was at the halfway mark of that bottle, they would probably be like, oh, I better pick up some aspirin. But he's not really, really sure. I don't think that's making a difference oh. with this made-up condition that they made up for the movie. Is it made up? I don't yeah, know enough about anything. It's made to... up. Yeah. What are they calling it? It's the Will Waylon's infraction. Um, yeah. It's not a schizophrenic condition that actually exists. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. And it apparently had such rapid onset. I, I would have wished that they would have blamed it on some sort of sepsis from all of those O-rings that he had had implanted in him, like all of his piercings, that they'd caused some sort of nerve damage mm-hmm. that was causing this. I would have taken that as a lot more plausible explanation for his, you know, psychological problems, mm-hmm. let alone his childhood. Well, know? there's that, yeah. Yeah, there's that. That's a big the, the elephant in the room, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I know my parents rented this when it came out, um, mostly for the Vincent D'Onofrio, um, partially probably because of J Lo, probably like they're big Anaconda fans. Oh, I don't know if that really? came out before this, but it did. Yeah, yeah. it did. Yeah, ninety um, ninety seven or ninety eight, I think was on. Whenever it's on TV, they would watch it. Like, really? I don't know. They thought it was hilarious. Yeah. yeah. This is also the person, like my mother, who would call me up and said, have you seen Blood Glacier? <laughs> and I said, no, I uh, have not seen Blood Glacier. Is it good? And she said, well, Lydia, it's called Blood Glacier I only, for one. <laughs> I only really remember Anaconda because I had a, an issue of Fango mm-hmm. that had a picture of Jennifer Lopez standing in the water. And she's kind of posing because it's like a set photo or yeah. whatever. And for some reason... It it was the, the the photo was like look how hot J Lo looks in the water here, 
that was good enough for me, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I like that in this film, the camera does not linger on her in, you know, a, a perverted way whatsoever. Yeah. Considering they're dealing with a woman who is strikingly beautiful. And mm. there are many scenes and many costume changes, more so than we even remember. Man. That do enhance her body to a certain degree. And not once does do I feel that they're over-sexualizing her, which is really great. And it's something, like, that's an accomplishment, I think. And if any filmmaker were to ever be like, yeah, well, we're not sexualizing these people. It just so happens that they're sexy. I'm like, yeah, but look at the cell where we have a very sexy-looking person mm-hmm. that somehow we managed to make a film without making them look like a fucking centerfold. Yeah, you can very easily not have a fucking steady cam rig set up just behind their ass, yeah. Michael Bay. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> just it's, saying. It's, it's not hard to accomplish. And I really enjoy your acting in this, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I really also enjoy how many people have the name Vince or Vincent in this movie because <laughs> we got Vincent D'Onofrio, Vince Vaughn, which was kind of a surprise oh, to me. I forgot. Yeah. I completely forgot that he was in this picture. Yeah, me too. I wouldn't, if you would have said, like, who plays her counterpart in this film, I would have been like, oh, David Covey? Somebody, somebody serious. Yeah. But not Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn's career has been very interesting because much like, I, I was like liking him to a Leslie Nielsen, but starting off very seriously, mm-hmm. right? Like Leslie Nielsen wasn't always airplane. He used to be Forbidden Planet. Yeah. And, and he could still do serious roles. Vince Vaughn, I forgot that he did the Psycho remake. I forgot that he did the cell. To me, he's Earmuffs, old, you know, old school. Yeah, he's silliness. he's that. He's part of that. Uh, they called him the frat pack. That that collection of actors from the late nineties, early aughts. Okay. That was basically just, you know, chubby beer swilling idiots in raunchy R rated comedies. Yeah, which is a shame because Vince Vaughn, when he was doing something like the cell, he was actually a good looking guy. So I don't know what happened. But we also have Pruitt Taylor Vince. Uh, who I would have mistaken for another actor that looked a lot like Pruitt Taylor Vince because his eyes didn't shake so much. But I, from what I understand, it is a, a condition that exacerbates over time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I liked seeing Pruitt Taylor Vince for the four seconds that we get to see him. Another yeah, yeah. person with Vince in their name. That's yeah, in yeah. Film. Well, listen, if you're going to have anyone play a, a bit role like that, it may as well get a hell of an actor to do it. Oh, yeah. You know, you want to talk about a uh, hell of a actor for a bit role you got peter sarsgaard for crying out loud played the dad in orphan mm. you know and so we get to see him as julia's fiance for all of four seconds yeah i'm surprised i even recognized him because it's a shadowy little shot but he is that striking mm-hmm. yeah i didn't i did not uh, recognize him at all yeah so yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so there is quite the cast in this mm-hmm. whether you're coming at it from the year 2000 psyche or looking back at it from today you said, what, 17 years old? 17 years old, yeah. When you put it that way, I forgot how old this fucking movie is. <laughs> Until you said that, and I was shocked. Yeah. It occupies that space. Listen, we on this show have done movies that are encroaching on their centennial. Yeah. So we, when we say old movies, sometimes it's hard for us. It's, it's like when someone talks about the Lord of the Rings movies, and you realize... Jesus, the last one came out in 2004. Yeah. And and because the things like The Cell, things like Mothman Prophecies, things like Identity, things like um, The Matrix, whatever we've been talking about, 
they seem so current. And this is this is how I understand where my parents were when they would feel like the things that they were referencing were way more current than they actually are. You could talk to someone who is 20 years old right now who would not have been who would have been two when this movie came out, mm-hmm. right? Two, three years old. And and that to me is mind bending. Yeah, it, it really puts it into perspective when you say the cell is this old. And also explains how come the cell is a film that not only dropped off for me and my friends just stopped talking about it, although I know that in my close circle of friends, it was always something that we liked that film. And with the egocentricity of a teenager, if you and your friends liked the movie, then everyone must have liked the movie, right? Guess so. Not so. And I, the first time I encountered the fact that someone didn't like the cell, the only argument that was put forth was they didn't, hadn't seen the film. They had no interest in seeing the film because they could not get out from under the fact that Jennifer Lopez was the star of it. Which is weird to me because, like, I I live in the opposite world where if I like something, everyone must hate it because <laughs> I've never liked things that other people do and things that I like people don't seem to understand. So mm-hmm. it's a total opposite point of view. Although I did encounter that exact same reaction from people who didn't <laughs> like this film. That or they didn't get it and they thought it was too artsy and they didn't understand the story. So when I jokingly say... Yes, whisper to yourself a little more, J-Lo. Tell us what we're seeing because we don't quite get it. <laughs> I was joking because I don't like being spoon-fed. But mm-hmm. I th- I guess other people did need that because I don't find it a very confusing fucking plot whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But some people did. Mm-hmm. And they didn't like all of that, th- the artistic angles of this dreamland. I guess they wanted, subconsciously, they wanted a saw film. They wanted a hostile out of this mm-hmm. but instead they got mirror mask mm-hmm. they got they got visual things that represent other things and i think that once you're into into the dreamscape it leaves a lot open to interpretation what are these things that they're seeing i mean jayla will tell us victims for one mm-hmm. but the the worst most expository scenes are all the you know investigation scenes that are outside of the the dream world in particular the opening sequence where cops are talking to each other about why does the killer do this and why do they do that? I think that a defter hand with that type of dialogue, but for all we know, those are pickup scenes. Those sequences could have been shot in any order. Yeah. And all for all we know, they had way more dream stuff, less expository stuff in the real world. And then they would have shown that to a test audience and the audience would have said, well, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so now they have to do pickup fucking scenes, which, you know, now all because of the way that information travels, everyone's always talking about this movie's getting reshoots. It must be horrible. That's not how any of it works. The difference is, is you never used to hear about it every five fucking seconds. Reshoots are just what happen when you make movies that cost money that, you know what I mean? Like they fucking give it to a test screening uh, audience who are idiots and then they say, I don't understand this. I didn't get this. And then they fucking take that. They take those notes as the biblical truth. And then they remake their fucking films. That or pickups can happen because of seasonal changes, too. If they need a shot, you know, they've been shooting on soundstage and it's supposed to be midwinter. Or they've been shooting in a place 
that has salt dunes, so it looks like midwinter, and then they need some midwinter shots. They gotta wait six months. You know, pickups can happen for all sorts of fucking reasons, or they just need you know setting shots. You need um, establishing shots they didn't get, let alone plugging in a whole bunch of expository real world stuff because people don't understand the dreamscape. I would have handled a lot more dreamscape, really. It's fine to tell a completely surrealist story. I agree. And I also think that one of the things I like the like the trap sequences in Home Alone, which is the only thing that people remember about that fucking movie, you can easily with the cell it's the same thing. I only remembered the dream sequences and all of the other details, the 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 spit and glue that hold those scenes together fell out of my head because people forget about Home Alone. There's like a fucking hour and a half of not traps in that movie. I guess so. <laughs> I don't remember because it's like not something that really sticks in my head. I think I only remember one of the traps at that. But be that as it may, I did remember her outfit and not her outfits, plural. I remembered her real world outfit, the thing that they went into this dreamscape wearing, which reminded me so much of Frank. And you had brought up it looks like Dracula's armor. Yeah. From Dracula, which at the beginning of Dracula, which is a very brutal beginning and such a wonderful piece of armor. Yeah. And that's sort of what this looks like, too. I really enjoyed those outfits. And Valentine the dog, the albino dog. I forgot that that dog was even a character. Really? He became the unwitting icon of this film for me. Oh, yeah. When people would say the cell. Uh, two things. The dog, the albino dog, and the sound of a Tibetan horn, which would sort of be in the dreamscape especially at the beginning where she's just with mr e or edward the young boy who she's using this technique with initially mm -hmm. um there's sort of like the sound which is just a subtle tiny little sound design thing that nobody like it has nothing to do with the movie but that's what i remembered a sound of a horn and they use that sound again in the bigger dream sequences when he's on his throne oh yeah yeah, yeah. this is how you herald a fucking entity like this. That sort of like demonic king presence. So cool. But what is this movie about even anyways, man? It's about the white dog. It's, it's like follow the white rabbits, follow the white dog. Do you think that was part of it? I think so. You see, it seems as a puppy. It also works as sort of a time frame thing because when he first had his first real kill, when he's explaining it, Valentine's just pup. So if you sort of follow Valentine through all of this. And he hasn't been operating that long. The dog he bought three years ago. Mm -hmm. So that means that he, his first victim was in and around. He's only been killing for three years. In terms of serial killers, I, listen, there's no straight way to, uh, to, to, to judge any of this. Like, so many of them are so different. But generally speaking, first of all, kills are usually farther apart, although not always. But like a lot of the times their first kill, there's a huge chunk of time before their next one. And then that's when it gets into... Uh... And it's more refined, too. And he's definitely a process killer. And he even says, um, which brings true as far as the psychology of somebody like this would mm -hmm. go, that 
this was my first kill. I made such a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing, sort of thing. And a lot of killers say that. And Edmund Kemper is one that comes to mind for sure. He had no idea how hard it was to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But he learned, that's for sure. And that's what this would be, is that the, some, the person's ramping up to a berserker mode, as some people would refer to it as, mm-hmm. where they're going to start killing with abandon. And Vince Vaughn's character says... Um, if we don't stop him, I don't think he's going to stop himself. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it doesn't seem that way either. Although he also does say that it seems like this person wants to be caught. Mm-hmm. But I think that's part of it too. He knows that he's not going to stop himself. There's mm-hmm. an extra thing with this character that he has a psychological disorder that is pushing him to ramping up his killing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. He's like a ticking time bomb but doesn't really know it. Which is kind of interesting, because he would have stopped himself in a way. He would have collapsed. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. When when we were first introduced to this killer, Vincent D'Onofrio is this killer, we can see that he has an incredibly complicated, movie-complicated process into his deaths. We know that he has space out in the country. There's a silo property and within that property he's got cameras set up all over the place and then um he's got a massive water sealed tank looks almost like the prison that you'd keep Hannibal Lecter in uh and that routinely fills with water and he drowns his victim then he bleaches their body then he puts them up onto this uh, shower system that to me is easily it's like how you wash cows and and yeah, stuff like that wash me to wash cadavers yeah wash cadavers and you just spray all this water down then he uh, suspends himself over them almost like he's taking the sun vow except it's not through the pectoral muscles it's all uh what do they call that um Suspension? Yeah, just suspension. Yeah, yeah. he's got like the, um, the, the, piercings the, along yeah, his back. Yeah, yeah, just the, the steel uh, circles and he just gets himself up there. Then he jerks off over top of them while watching their murder videos while suspended over their bleached body. Then he just dumps the body. That's a lot of effort to jerk off. It is a lot of effort, but you can sort of see how that became because he has you know this messy girl that he's eviscerating and he doesn't like that and you can see how it went like well it has to be cleaner it has to be like this Mm. i prefer weightlessness i had my first seizure underwater when i was experiencing a feeling of weightlessness being baptized so all of these things sort of coalesce Mm. quite quickly in the three years that he's been killing to this is what i want this perfect barbie doll that is perfect and clean and everything about her is perfect and clean and virginal. That's what I need. So how is he going to accomplish that? Like this. This mm. is how. He also doesn't want to have any part in actually killing them. So he's constructed the cell that is like a, a killing jar. Yeah, really. And and when there's uh, some twitches of the death nerves. While she's... Death nerve. he, I, I like that he is getting sexually aroused uh, while looking at what he thinks is a dead body in the tank. And as soon as she twitches, he just about barfs because it's, it's like there's a living girl that's dying in front of him and he has a boner. Oh, my God, that is so horrible. Yeah, he hides from it, turns away from it, is, is 
repulsed by it, scared. Yeah. Presses down on his groin. Yeah, presses down on his groin to, like, stop that. Yeah, it's a really subtle scene, but Mm -hmm. I think it explains a hell of a lot about the psychology going on behind this killer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. That's when when we're introduced to J-Lo at the top of the film. She's fucking going into this kid's mind, and we know that this kid is in a coma. We know that she's using this experimental technology to basically sync up with this person mentally, enter their uh, subconscious mind, mm-hmm. and try to... I guess the goal is to coax them out of their coma somehow? I suppose. I don't know. It's really, hard to they don't say. say. You know, she just wants to help them. She just wants to help them. That's all she wants to do. She wants to help them. Mm-hmm. But she keeps having nightmares because you got to imagine this is kind of fucked up to be doing to your head. Mm-hmm. Um and they sort of like dance into almost Freddy Krueger territory with like, you got to be careful because as soon as you believe that what you're seeing is actually real, mm-hmm. then your dreams could kill you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she keeps going into their psyche because they're the ones trapped in dreamland, so to speak, being trapped in a coma. Um, so it's her going into their mind. And she has a theory that if they reverse the stream or reverse the feed, yeah. then invite the coma victim or person trapped in their mind into her dreams that it would be a lot safer and she'd have a lot more control and be able to i guess coax them out of coma Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous because that's not how comas work it's not because you're decided that you're going to stay dreaming that's ridiculous (laughs) but whatever it's the cell it is the cell i think that it's it's a good enough premise to get you with this idea that you can enter someone's mind because it starts with that. That's the nugget. What if you were to, if you want to tell a serial killer story and you even have a passing interest in abnormal psychology, you would say to yourself, how do you get there? Do you just make some sort of fantastical creature that can do that? Like like a Freddy Krueger so you can enter people's minds because you could have just taken the model of, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then said, well, we're always seeing the victim's minds. What does Freddy's mind look like? Mm-hmm. Which is super interesting to me. But then the Wachowskis are shopping this idea about going into a computer system via a mental link-up. And then all of a sudden, a year later, like like before when that film comes out, and that film was in production for years and years and years, mm-hmm. and the way that Hollywood works, as most people could probably figure out, is when you shop scripts around and people don't want to do it, those become the nuggets to other scripts, which is why sometimes similar movies will come out at the same time. You know, you have Armageddon, and then the same year Deep Impact comes out. You have Cop Out, and then the other guys come out. Two very similar types of movie. And, and that's why it happens, because I don't want to work with these people, or this is too expensive, or, or let's do our own thing. And I, I genuinely feel like somebody reading the Wachowski script is what gave them this concept to just have like random technology and to never really explain it. It's just we're in rubber red suits. They're, they're suspended. We have there's... napkins on magnets that retract from the ceiling. I don't understand. <laughs> there's yeah. a giant... 1970s monitor (laughs) you know where it's just like computers will one day be so large and so expensive that only the three richest kings of Europe can afford them there's that and and whatever there's numbers and gauges and we're not gonna go 
too deep into how this technology works. No, all we know not... is we pump them full of drugs because that's one thing that people can understand. <clears throat> yeah. Is that there's computer monitors watching them in their dreamlands. We don't get a feed, <clears throat> but we know that they're in there. Mm-hmm. We know which way the feed is going and they're being pumped full of drugs. Mm-hmm. And they wear cool ass suits. Yeah, really yeah. cool suits. Which I always wonder, like, they got a JLO suit and they got mm-hmm. a Vince suit and they got a kid suit. Yeah. But do they got like a suit that would fit Wes, or do they got a suit yeah. that would fit me? I would not like... fit in a Vince Vaughn suit. I'm a much larger man than he is. I'm a differently shaped than J-Lo. Yeah. I would say that, yeah, you're both probably the same size, but you're a very svelte, very svelte lady. I got uh, probably wider shoulders than J-Lo. Oh, true. That's probably true, too. Yeah. But the point is, is that that's, that's, that's a very valid argument. They probably just have people in the background. Look at, like, Rick Baker back there. He's like, I'll make you a rubber suit real quick. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's the part that they edited out. They edited out the fucking 15-hour plaster cast session <laughs> to make sure that they can make that suit. I really wanted the dog to go in, so I guess they didn't have a dog suit. I would have liked Valentine to be able to go into the dreamland. Yeah. And then fucking Vincent D'Onofrio in a demon form was riding this giant albino dog, like a, like a fucking dog cavalry. Oh my God. That would have fit into this. I wouldn't have bad an eyelash. Oh my God. Like, I need that <laughs> so bad. So this is our premise is that our serial killer is, has a, a disorder. Now the scene that I had invented straight up fucking fabricated was that thanks to some sleuthing Vince Vaughn and his crack team of FBI agents were able to figure out who Vincent D'Onofrio was. After it all had to do with the poor albino dog. They it, tracked all of that down because of Valentine. Yeah. Rare they, dog. They, they found dog hair at the scene of the crime and they, you know, did their forensics thing and then they figured it out that it was dog hair and then this is an albino dog. And then a person who bought this dog also had this car that was, you know, the same model and make of the one that they had been looking for. And... I had invented a chase scene, <laughs> like where they had like cornered him in his house, which does happen, but he is oblivious to any of this. In my head, in my mind palace, he runs and then they're about to shoot him or saying, don't do something. And in a desperate attempt to escape, he jumps down and I remember him landing on a flatbed truck or on train tracks or something and he become and he goes into a coma because that's very severe trauma and he'll never wake up. No. Is it gotta be a different film? So if anyone can fill us in on that's what film be. it is that Wes is confusing this with because he couldn't have made up that scene entirely because it's not that it's similar enough. No, it's it, it, at it, all. He's in the bathtub and he's singing kitty nursery rhymes and then all of a sudden his brain just turns off. Pretty much, yeah. He has a pretty bad seizure. Mm-hmm. He tries to get himself up and some aspirin into him because I guess that's mm-hmm. how he has been treating this thus far. But it wouldn't have had any real mm-hmm. effect on, on this problem that he's having. And he passes out naked in his kitchen. He and that's does. they find him. It's a nightmare for all of us. I, I like this scene a lot because he, I like him roaring and it almost almost makes it seem like a demonic possession. And this monstrous id that has clouded his entire consciousness is getting stronger to the point in which he is completely trapped within his own world. And in a way, that is what happens, but in a much more accurate way. That almost seems like that demonic force is about to break through. Yeah. That's another mm-hmm. another fear. I really think... 
And I wish that it would have had something to do with some sort of bacterial infection or nerve damage created by those rings because mm-hmm. that's also how he's acting as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm apprehending a serial killer never goes down like this. It's usually um, a traffic ticket, a moving violation, mm-hmm. or it takes somebody escaping, mm-hmm. like Gary Heidnick. Um, cops actually knocked on his door. People are complaining about the smell of what smelt like dying like rotting flesh and mm-hmm. his excuse was that oh he had burnt his dinner and he apologized and the cops went away mm-hmm. things like that yeah people don't get caught in this way and i mm-hmm. wish that every crack team of fbi agents was this good and i'm sure they wish that they were this good too mm-hmm. to have come out in such force and be correct Mm-hmm. And not only not have to shoot the suspect, mm-hmm. unfortunately, they weren't able to take him coherent, but they were able to take him alive to have it all happen this seamlessly and this easily um, without somebody having a body count of over 20 people and having somebody's trust up in the garage when they mm-hmm. do find them by accident. Yeah. You know, sometimes they, they, they get pinched by uh, people escaping. Like, is that how they got John Wayne Gacy? Like, one person escaped. Oh, no, that's how they got uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah. Eventually, but no, it was the stink. The stink. Somebody actually came to complain about the stink. That's right. They didn't catch him when somebody escaped. Same sort of thing as Heidnick. Uh, With Heidnick, it took somebody escaping, but the cops had come to the door. The cops had met up with him and one of his victims, Mm -hmm. who was never seen again. Yeah. You know, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Berkowitz was a traffic thing, wasn't he? So was um, Bundy. Yeah. So was Bundy. A lot of them were were tickets. And Bundy escaped a lot, too. Yeah. (laughs) And not just custody, like jail. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fuck, crazy. Ridiculous. But that's a good example of somebody going into, like, berserker mode, as they would call it. Just his killing was ramping up to the point that even he stopped understanding. And his process started breaking down. Because they go through this, this arc where the kills are happening with less frequency but they're refining their technique and then they have their technique refined quite perfectly and that's where the kills are happening uh, with more severity more brutality but perfectly and they have a less chance of getting caught but then they begin to get very very sloppy Mm -hmm. is the the pattern that most of them seem to follow Mm -hmm. as far as like serial killers and that's what we're getting here with carl strager that he's a process killer that has refined and probably wouldn't have been caught because mm-hmm. he didn't seem to be going berserk necessarily. Mm-hmm. He seemed to be getting a lot more calm. Mm-hmm. But it was still a, a week by week thing almost because the second he loses one body, loses. He went stalking on another. Yeah, immediately. They show that process too, that it is victim selection. It's not yeah. happenstance. He's not just clubbing a chick over the head. He actually uses his puppy dog. Trained his jo- a dog to help him jerk off. Not to help him jerk off. See there, I'm making notes about, well, he's got his dog as a stand-in for the Ted Bundy technique. Yeah. And Wes puts it so eloquently <laughs> as he's basically trained his dog to help him jerk off. We're both right. We are both right. And and you know what? Much like Bundy, this dog is white like a cast. You yeah. can help you can help him with the car and shit. But I, I I do think that's crazy to me. He just seems such a sophisticated killer in such a short amount of time. You know? And I don't think that's unrealistic. I'm just saying that it is remarkable. It's movie. It's it's cinematic is what it is. It's like you don't want just someone drowning someone in a bathtub. You don't want somebody. I mean, you could do that. Of course you could do that. But if we're already in a movie where we're going to be 
fucking traversing the subconscious, you may as well make him a super elaborate jigsaw killer. In a way, although I think that the way that this kid's childhood went, him paying attention to things like time isn't an accident. Him paying attention to the best and quickest way to do something mm. um, without getting caught in trouble, yeah. uh, misunderstood, all of those things, yeah. beaten. You mm-hmm. know, it, he probably had to size up situations fairly quickly mm-hmm. to keep himself safe all of his life. So mm-hmm. once this was presented with him, this ideal location, mm-hmm. and these ideas just sort of snapped into place for him quite quickly, mm-hmm. I think. That's they do, because of the severity of, of his father, they do say that people who come from extremely abusive households uh, are very good liars, mm-hmm. are very good at hiding things, and they definitely have things that they keep very close to the best. And it's all about this fear of getting in trouble. You're constantly just trying to keep your head down and stay out of trouble. And so you think of anything, any small infraction that most people would understand, you just keep that tight to your chest and deny, deny, deny. And and hopefully it passes over, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. So when this guy is unconscious and we would find out that He's never going to wake up. Well, bad news, because they've discovered that uh, he has another body. Because there's a feed to his house, to some strange location that they can't figure out where it is. And there's a woman in the tank, and this tank is slowly filling with water. He gives them food to trick them into thinking that he might let them go. But it's all just like a weird head fuck. I think it's more of a head fuck he's playing on himself, too, because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to be responsible for their death. He's trying to save them and help them. Mm-hmm. So by feeding them, mm-hmm. he is saving them and helping them. By, yeah. you know, videotaping it, he keeps his distance entirely, entirely. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have to have any real involvement mm-hmm. with their demise. It's like, you know, I'm just going to come at you swinging my fists, and if you get punched, it's your own fault. <laughs> it, yeah. it is It is a bit of that, for sure. And so now it's up to J-Lo. And they know about this only because their doctor is friends with, or, or is aware of this program, this weird program that is not secret. It is, it's just super experimental. And it's, of course, that, that angle always with experimental shit. We're going to shut you down unless we can see results, you know? And... You know, you look around this room about their expensive napkin holders and everything. I, I was like, this could probably have been shaved down. They could have used gurneys. They didn't need those, like, <laughs> retracting tables. They probably could have, like, suspended the people and then just, like, drop a, yeah, drop drop a gurney. bed a little. They didn't need the whole, like, multi-million dollar suite to host these experimental <laughs> dream fucking the solid the the solid table of polished granite yeah. <laughs> to rise and lower that seems excessive to me but it is very sci-fi i like that and it's it's funny how expensive yet dated everything looks just by the virtue of the fact that it's a 17-year-old movie at this point and technology moves in such a way that you know, it's just like they're still using like tube screens and and all that old kind of stuff. So it's 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 just funny now that they why would they try to perceive anything different? But this is where J Lo agrees, and I think that she's in the interest of helping people, and she seems reluctant at first to want to go into this killer's mind until yes, there's a victim at stake, but she seems to need this extra assurance that 
he is willing to give up that information or repent or there's some air bunny's goodness in him that seems to be something so like, is there any good in him at all could there be good like you know what i mean like i was like that seems like not the point at all i got it as it, she didn't want to waste her time yeah like I, i'm gonna go in there but would he tell me if he was able to if he was awake and talking would do you think you could get this information out of him because mm-hmm. she's like it could take me months to forge a relationship with this person and i'm gonna duck in there and try and get information that he wouldn't have told you otherwise so it'll mm-hmm. be a big waste of my fucking time yeah. and i'm gonna get nightmares because i get nightmares going into the head of an eight-year-old yeah. so I'm going to get fucking crazy nightmares going to this guy's head. To be fair, that eight-year-old has some fucked up shit where he turns into a gross seal boy, so. What eight-year-old doesn't? (laughs) But the first time that we go into this space, this crazy space, what is your initial take on that? I don't. I thought it was kind of comforting. It was, you know, he's compartmentalizing quite effectively his different aspects of his psyche. He has his uh, younger self. His, like, 8-year-old boy self or 11-year-old boy. I don't know how old he's supposed to be. I don't know. I can't tell what... Short. He's a, he's a kid. Yeah, he's a kid. I'll say 8 because he looks mm-hmm. maybe 6 to 12. Um, mm-hmm. He's got that running around in there. He's got mm-hmm. a lot of time-keeping pieces, a lot of dolls. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, dolls with skulls for heads and mm-hmm. skulls with dolls for arms or I don't know. All kinds of fucked up shit. Always with the dolls, though. And I like that. Uh, I like the different rooms. I really like the fact that they do the Damien Hirsch thing pretty much right off the hop and cut the horse into pieces. Because watching it, I was convinced that that's like a massive set piece later on in the film. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It's Mm -hmm. something that introduces you to the way that this world works. Yeah, I think it's a very effective scene because J-Lo is going into this kind of with her old routine. Oh, it's a boy. I can talk to this kid because I just have been talking to another kid for months. You have a horse? I know a little boy that has a horse. His name is Edward. The boy, not the horse. And you can see her doing her almost soothing preschool teacher preschool teacher type thing about when you would see when you'd have an obstinate child or a shy child that you want to incorporate into the group, get them to trust you, and she's doing her own thing. And that's when this world is turned upside down and this is a hall of nightmares lady this is not this is not a vast desert where there might be one weird thing about a kid's psyche manifesting himself this boy that you're talking to is not the gatekeeper of this world not whatsoever and this is where i really really enjoy uh, a modern day uh, killer uh, or maniac kind of similar in a way is uh, Russell Williams, where he didn't have a rough childhood at all. So if you're mm-hmm. going to go in there and talk to the eight-year-old in his head, he's got nothing to tell you. This eight-year-old is way too scared of the person that is in control here, mm-hmm. which has nothing to do with him and his childhood, no matter how rough that might have been. This is somebody completely created because of an illness. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with his traumatic childhood. He would have been a lot better off left to his own devices with his traumatic childhood than to have this illness that has encroached entirely on his body and his mind. Um, so the kid does try to help her out. Like That does show not only like the goodness within the killer here, but that he, the kid's just as scared as she is. Mm-hmm. And this kid, this part of his mind that doesn't want to be part of this anymore. There is uh, validity in what 
the FBI is saying that his behavior demonstrates a desire to get caught, to want to be stopped because this is a compulsion that has spiraled completely out of this person's control. And they are aware of that. And the very fact that this boy exists, this boy tried to protect JLo from the, the, the dropping glass that was going to separate this horse. Mm. I've seen that looks fantastic still after all these years. And it was the one that was where you'd pointed out how old this movie was, and yeah. it does really look fantastic. Mm-hmm, I, you know, mm-hmm. for people who only remember that of this film, mm-hmm. um, it's worth rewatching it to see that again. I think. Yeah, and and that is where you know we are going to see really how nightmarish this world is going to get because J Lo, after seeing a hall of victims which makeup that is so freaking cool on all of them. Mm-hmm. And we get the Fat Life Hall of Horrors, which if I were going to create a haunted house with pop-ups and automatons, I think that this would be a fun one to do. The really forward thinking as far as the fetish scene too because this movie being as old as it is and not having all of the, you know, internet doms be as vocal as they as they are nowadays and ha- not having sites like uh, sites like Fat Life that would explore a very broad range of fetish and kink in the public eye and not having books out like Shades of Grey or whatever. Um, Having all of this be very underground, the things that were portrayed in this very short sequence of, of pony girls and the different methods of submission and domination mm-hmm. was very, very stark and very real and very underground. A lot of it was very underground, specifically the pony girl. That wasn't, I don't think, in the pride parade of no. the day. Yeah. Yeah. Where it is now. Yeah, I definitely agree. And these things becoming more I went mainstream is the wrong word but uh, just more people are more aware of it accessible to the mainstream that's what I'm yes yeah. ex- thank you accessible to the mainstream and this is where we are encounter the true king of this dark world and this was the sh- this was a shot that was in all the trailers that royal purple cape that is uh, like attached to all the hooks this impossible Thing the and- fact that it wraps around the entire room, and I saw it for you know not long before this, it was the year two thousand celebrations um, with Queen Elizabeth, and mm. they had thousands of silk draperies that all dropped down from mm. this massive hall that they were in. And it had a lot of the same effect, just the mm-hmm. way that silk behaves when it's flowing free through the air. Mm-hmm. They have this massive silk cape that is attached to the wall mm-hmm. that is attached to his back. It's just really, really amazing mm-hmm. looking scene. Still, yeah. it's still an amazing scene. Just the way his hand is posed up there. He looked vaguely biblical, almost as if it were a, a portrait of a saint in stained glass, just the hands out you'd almost think that he would have a scepter or something like that steps down he's shirtless looking fit as fuck hakama pants this weird sort of vaguely asian top knot style thing and then he says where do you come from that is a very iconic line because it was in all the trailers so having the advertising and then j-lo bugs the fuck out hits her like, panic button. She has like a button. little gem installed into the thumb and forefinger, between mm-hmm. the thumb and forefinger that she can press and release herself from this or alert her little scientific buddies to, yeah, to, to get pull, her out of the to thing. Yeah, to pull her out. And then yeah. she just gets this sense that 
one, there is a part of him that they're right. They might be able to do something. Yeah, if she, she can, can talk to the kid, the kid yeah. might help her. But she's like this thing, this idealized version of Vincent D'Onofrio's character is not going to help them. And no, in he's fact, seeing himself as a king in a very twisted kingdom. Yeah, and now that he's he's locked into his own subconscious, this is his world now. Mm-hmm. So it does live within the realm of horror, I feel, right there, because yeah. she uh, is at the risk of being trapped within this nightmare world, which is nightmarish to her. Mm-hmm. It's fantasy land to him, for yeah. sure. But yeah. it is the, the imagery that we've seen thus far of what we're going to see more of, because we know she's going to go back in there. We know she has to go back in there. Maybe not go back in there three times, but back in there one more time. <laughs> we know that that's going to happen because she almost immediately says, you know, prep them, I'm going back in. Yeah. When she re-enters this world... This is probably my favorite sequence. I mean, listen, I love the, the, our, our initiation into this dark world, but the second sequence. Um, and by the way, I pretty much just want to talk about the the dream sequences. There's some filler in there where there's like FBI detective work and shit like that, but it is not interesting. To yeah, me. and the actual more interesting FBI detective work that happens happens in this dream sequence. Exactly, so. and so this is where J Lo encounters. What do you say? The unidealized version? Because there's him as a kid. There's him without horns and makeup. And... It's him as he is, as he was last week. Exactly. As he was when they found him on the floor in his house. He seems willing to talk. He wants to tell his side of the story. Vince Vaughn er- er- earlier had had almost poo-pooed the idea of somebody getting off because of trauma, past trauma. Uh, J-Lo, far more a psychologist... Um, doesn't buy that mm-hmm. and says that, no, people's past trauma can greatly affect them. And so this is where we get to learn a little bit about his past trauma. And he was the victim of an extraordinarily abusive father who also had him baptized. So it was like this weird duality with this Southern Baptist imagery of you're in a lake, you're getting baptized, praise Jesus, arms are up in the fucking air. It's like that scene from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And then that's where he has his first seizure, like you were saying earlier. And he mentions right away that evening, my father took me home and broke three of my ribs. And, and his jaw, jaw. And he was six. Yeah. So you 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 hear about this in some serial killer's life history where they had uh, a very religious upbringing on one hand in some aspect. And they had a very painful upbringing in another way. Because there was some sort of abuse going on there. Or would go from like uh, an abusive horror mother. There's a lot of horror mothers and serial killers. um, And then end up in a very religious background. Or, you know, be abandoned to a certain extent to uh, an abusive church life Mm -hmm. of some sort. So it it helps. It's good shorthand. It's really good shorthand. Mm -hmm. For the way that his father treated him. And we get a lot more cutscenes involving the young Carl that we've seen. Mm -hmm. Like the eight-year-old boy, I suppose, where they have him washing dishes Mm. quite rapidly and trying to beat the clock, it seems, Mm -hmm. um, before his father gets home. Yeah, that's the idea, right? It's like, these dishes better be done by the time I get home. Mm -hmm. And then just as his father comes in, oh, a plate breaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she's witness to, like... 
what sort of stress this little kid was under all of his life, mm-hmm. let alone having a psychological stress that nobody pays attention to, nobody notices, no one understands. And being a zealot at that in that way, they would have said, oh, well, he's probably being touched by God. That's why he's having a seizure. Or you're trying to fucking make a fool of me. That's why you're mm-hmm. having a seizure. So he would have got beat either way. Yeah, exactly. There, it, you know, in, in those cases of abuse, it's anything. It's mm-hmm. any reason whatsoever mm-hmm. to exert power. And that is what he takes away from all of this. He was strong. He was stronger than me. And in that way, almost, he has he had the right. He had the right to do that to me. That is that is the delivery of the line. He was more powerful than I was, mm-hmm. and that was the justification for his father's actions. It's also the justification for remaining trapped in this dreamland with this fucking horrible king persona mm-hmm. that is squashing him mm-hmm. and squashing the young eight-year-old Carl as well, mm-hmm. because he's more powerful than both of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In a way, still being now dominated by his own psyche, and yeah. you know, and the, the cutscenes are. Uh, not in- incredibly graphic, although just everything, it's disturbing imagery. Just first of all, him getting beat playing with dolls, and it's that classic, yeah, were you some kind of faggot? Like that type of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that tracks. If I, if I was going to write a scene and I was feeling kind of tired that day, I would just go for that because we've seen it many, many times. And, and then also, you know, staring at, I guess, who was his father's girlfriend? Who's or, or yeah? Because his father points out that, that is not your mother. That's not mother, and he's just like mm-hmm. like look at her like naked body. Look at her like while well, she's like sitting there kind of lamely with her like robe open. I was like woof. It's, it's dark stuff, but it's it's dark, but it's great shorthand. You take that yeah, yeah, the fact sure. that his father had prostitutes or what seems to be a prostitute force the kid to be around these prostitutes and see you know womanliness in the worst light and be beaten constantly be accused of being gay because he's playing with dolls and it's probably the only toys that he owned like it yeah mm-hmm. burning him with an iron because he wanted to iron i don't even know if he was playing with dolls or just ironing something yeah who knows they didn't really get into that just the reaction and the fact that his father's some sort of preacher or very mm-hmm. very involved to the yeah, point very, that he yeah. can perform the baptism yeah it's 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 super strange but unfortunately you know people will hide the worst possible behavior with piety, yeah. right? Especially in, you know, I don't want to get controversial, but in religion that promotes forgiveness. If you just say your Hail Marys and say you're sorry, well, then it's fine, isn't it? It works to, they worked very hard to make us sit back and say, okay, yes, I can see how there would be something wrong with this gentleman. Yeah, for sure. But that's when we get this, I love this fucking sequence so much when we have the the, the bloody body in the tub he's sort of mucking about this is my first a kill puffball puppy of his dog valentine running around yeah i know it's like t- he looks like tintin's dog and then he backs up into the corner and you almost think like oh is he gonna like come out of the darkness as this thing yeah. no boom like a velociraptor you didn't even see it there it comes out and now he's different than how we first saw it and initially when i first saw this flick i will say I liked our first introduction to how he looked. I liked that purple regal. cape and regal yeah. thing. And I remember being as as a as a teen seeing this, being disappointed. Well, I don't think he looks as cool as these other things. I like the first one. I wish he just looked like that all the time. Now as an adult, I, I I still really love the first one, but now I love all of them. I love all of the transformations. And I think mm-hmm. when we're in this space of this 
very animalistic demon look that he's got going on now i like this one too probably because you know I mean? it's sexier it's very sexy fuck it's sexy that's he's like stalking over and stuff like that it's a very sexy thing that he's doing and yeah. it's in one of the least sexy places in a bloody bathroom you know yeah and that really place gross. looks fucking gross yeah. and also one thing n- interesting thing about this costume that i <laughs> noticed this time was it seems like in his mind palace he really he's like i know i got like 15 steel rings in my back but what I've really always wanted is just two of my nips and none on my back. So he just has two big rings hanging off his nipples. It's fucking weird looking, but cool. Mm-hmm. And this is the sequence in which JLo is like, they talk about this hypothetical situation where her mind would get almost partially taken over. Basically, her consciousness now resting neatly within another person's consciousness and this is where it can be dangerous and affect her body yeah when she starts to really believe that this is what's going on she there is no waking up because this is what she is taking as waking reality um coupled with the idea psychologically that he has put a collar on her a spiked collar at that it fucking bleeds yeah and it's 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 cool and by the way they did mention that through a little exposition in the FBI scenes at the very beginning of the flick, he does that, just makes them their property. Mm-hmm. I was like, I guess, man, fine. Anyway, it's not that it's not that relevant. It doesn't ruin anything for me, but I, sometimes I agree with you. I think that it lives alongside the fact that they do have her t- quite tethered in mm-hmm. this suit, you know. So she's used to being sort of owned, I suppose, by this mm-hmm. machine and this process that she undergoes to mm-hmm. go into the dreams. Yeah. And they do put a small pick into her because they mm-hmm. do have an IV that's a quite the cool IV yeah. that they have beside her to pump in all the good and suck out the bad. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This bunch is your, of drugs. This fill is her, good time drugs. Yeah, yeah, fill her with drugs so she can stay under or whatever. Uh, and so they can also monitor her. So the fact that the collar is a bloodletting collar reinforces that fact that she's like, okay, I'm going to submit to this machinery. She's mm-hmm. also submitting entirely to his subconscious now because... It's just another way, another process that she's used to of like, Mm -hmm. okay, now I'm going to be totally enveloped and something is going to be going into my body. Mm -hmm. And she's used to this. Meanwhile, in the real world, the, the basically our scientists are just doing what confused scientists do in movies and just hitting buttons and saying words and they don't know what's going on. And then... In some of the most telling cinematography in the universe, it's just they're constantly looking. The camera is turning to that hanging napkin in a free space because initially there was a process to get two psychologists in the space and then two people can help work one patient. But Edward, the boy that they've been working on, really only liked Jennifer Lopez. And she's so good at it. And she's so good at it. So they just never did it. But this tells us that there's another way for someone to get in there now. The, the person who would be the most qualified to do that, well, no, she's needed out here. Yeah, either the doctors. Instead, they send in who, Wes? Someone who's never done this before, <laughs> who's only heard about this process, oh, five hours ago, and is really hard-headed and is not a person that seems to believe in psychology in any way, shape, or form. No, he's actually not a proponent of anything that's going on here. All he wants is where this, where is Julia? We need to save her. That's all he needs to know. That's all he wants to know. But I guess on like to, to in his defense, all they need is somebody to go in there. It could be anyone. It could be a fucking dog. It could be anyone to go in there and just say, Hey, this isn't real. Mm -hmm. That's all they need to do. Mm -hmm. 
And so here comes Vince Vaughn to the rescue. Yeah, and it gets a little music video-y here. It you does. Know, it's going to be reminiscent of a lot of this um, Tarzan's other work. I, I do like the imagery of this. As much as I like the imagery, when J-Lo first, first goes in, we have the uh, black dog shaking blood off of its coat in slow motion. Mm-hmm. Something like totally surreal, very interesting looking. We have something that is almost looks black and white. Very interesting looking, very surreal. We have three women looking like they're in a pose of of singing almost. Yeah, it looks like an album cover. It does look like an album cover. They're sitting in furrows of rose in the ground and sitting quite comfortably in these furrows Mm -hmm. wearing what looks like synchronized swimming suits. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure. Shouting to the heavens and then, but not saying anything. Then they look at Vince Vaughn, say something. Then the one, and then when they're done talking, their head snaps back to its original position and they may as well have never moved. They're like statues. Mm -hmm. They are like statues that all of a sudden animate to in turn relay to him Mm -hmm. one or two questions and then go back to their pose. Uh, really interesting looking stuff. I know we're doing a shitty job of explaining it. So if you haven't seen it, it's quite visually striking for somebody to have landed in a puddle in this farmland in black and white, which is completely different than the the dreamscapes that we've been privy to. Mm. But pretty quickly, it becomes something a little more recognizable. It's true. As Carl's dreamland to us. It really is. And I think that it would be... First of all, this would be disorienting for anybody Mm -hmm. to experience. But... I would probably hit my panic button just about there. I would have gotten in here and thought to myself, I changed my mind. But you didn't even have a chance to see J-Lo all strapped up like some weird dominatrix on a bed. Like she's one part fucking Princess Leia, one part fucking lollipop chainsaw. And she's chained to a bed, which is kind of cool. I mean... This is my favorite. I forgot. I, th- I like her dip dye ponytails, you know? Oh, yeah. And I forgot how cool she looked, too. She looked really cool, that gold mask. He encounters It's the next up- outfit that I totally forgot. But, yeah, that that is the weirdest mask. I think this is on one of the covers. Yeah, that would be a fucking... Yeah, that definitely is a, is a striking image. This is where it is undeniable fact about how beautiful a woman Jennifer Lopez is. She looks... Just otherworldly, and this sinister expression that she does so subtly. Uh, I mean, makeup enhances it quite a bit, but the, the the darkness in her eyes, the weird smug satisfaction she gets while Vince Vaughn is tortured by what is now probably my favorite iteration of the transformations which is the gold king, for lack of a better term. This it's is about the best way to describe him. Yeah, this is where Vincent D'Onofrio is just stalks of like gold in crowns and like elaborate shoulder pieces and long nails, and he's entirely gold. And it's this crazy like madness of King George thing that yes. he's got going on too, where he's like uh, muttering rhymes and making fun of people. And he's got this contraption that is like a music box in a way, really. Yeah. And, and what it, what he does is with very long scissors that would make Cropsy jealous, Mm -hmm. friggin' disembowel Vince Vaughn and put his intestines quite daintily tune all the way. He's like, it's it's, it's crazy that the performance here is, and, and I know what I've known enough about Vincent D'Onofrio in interviews and just other performances and how much he gets into characters that 
I, I guarantee you that he would have had a lot of say in how he wanted to play a lot of these scenes because he just gets so into it. And this idea of reigning in his madness almost, he is giddy with just torturous delight. And he almost just so fucking excited like a kid at Christmas waiting for his parents to say, you can go downstairs and open your presents. That is what he's like with this contraption. Yeah, it's like this contraption that he's built and had for years and never been able to use and he's yeah, just I so know. stoked to be able to use it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he's also stoked to have a victim that he can make fun of because Vince Vaughn is yelling at JLo, yeah. who's still sort of like in a fugue. Because yeah. we maybe expected him to come down there and save her and her be grateful, but no, no, no. no. She has like, you describe that smug look of satisfaction watching him be tortured. Mm-hmm. And she hasn't quite snapped out of that while he's screaming at her, this isn't real, this isn't mm-hmm real because he understands that this isn't her secretly wanting him to be tortured this mm-hmm. is the fact that she has to completely succumb to this mindset while well, we have vincent d'onofrio mm-hmm. as the gold king mimicking him yeah with, just it's oh, not it's real, not real. It's it's not real. real. and <laughs> she's hilarious and, and i mean beforehand she almost goes into this seduction dance with him to let his guard down and he goes he goes with it well that's how she got her guard let down yeah, right that exactly. worked i think vincent d'onofrio looked kind of hot when that i'd succumb to vincent d'onofrio like that with those hair horns oh my god i'm into it i'm severely into mm-hmm. it <laughs> so it worked for her so that's all she knows in this place that she's in as well uh especially being in the setting that she's in, being collared and chained to a bed dress the way that she is, and being treated as royal concubine. Mm, yes, right? it the is The very that. king and queen at this point. Uh, within seconds, she was within that mindset. So it's mm-hmm. hard to snap out of. I think would have made a much better cover for the, the DVD case, instead of her with this smug, sexy look, having the somewhat troubled look that overcomes her face at this point, and one mm-hmm. single tear breaking out as she mm-hmm. comes back into reality and realizes what she's witnessing yeah and then she fucking stabs the gold king with that gold spike dildo i don't know what it was supposed to be but to me it looked like two dildos two two dildos and that's when they've managed to get to another space and this is where the boy has been hiding and there's also almost like a, a mermaid type thing. I don't know if it's supposed to be what it's supposed to be. This ethereal. Like water. a siren, like a yeah. nymph, a water nymph of some mm-hmm. sort that I think is, you know, what the boy would interpret. Like, okay, what is it that I'm doing to these women? I'm making them sea nymphs. Yeah, that's I'm what setting they are. them free. Yeah, that's what they are. They, they're they just so beautiful. And, and, and it's like I've captured a, a, a butterfly in a glass. Like, yeah. It's almost like that. So that's how he's sort of mentally processing them. And that's what these women in the cells are now. Uh, mm. Thankfully, J-Lo is wearing her Tomb Raider outfit because she doesn't need to look like a royal concubine mm. anymore. She's wearing like uh, a tank top and like tactical pants and yeah, like, sensible khakis. boots. <laughs> yeah, she looks, she looks good. She looks comfortable. Comfortable and normal, which I really appreciate. Yeah, and this is where Vince Vaughn uses his FBI skills, his sleuthing, because he sees a symbol that is a manufacturing symbol that was on the ta- the slab in the basement of the killer's house. It's like an autopsy table, and they've got like these stylized cuts in it. Also would work good for drainage, um, and also a good place to put a headrest if you were using it for an autopsy table. 
um, and it says Carver on it, and mm-hmm. it's got these cutouts, and that is guilt on this thing that looks like a killing jar slash snow globe because mm. they've got this water infant. So yeah, he figures this out, and like you had said. It's something that he'd seen before. It's something that he sees again, something that he thinks about, something that's stuck in his psyche. He would have figured this out Mm -hmm. eventually as old-fashioned police work. Yeah, absolutely. But he does see it in this dream sequence Mm -hmm. and wants her to wake them up because... They're done, He's figured it out. They're done. And when when he, like, runs to J-Lo just as she's gotten this boy's trust and he's hugging her and you see that he's, like, got blood on the back of his shirt... And we know that this kid is scared and he's in great danger. She makes this kind of random promise that don't worry, I'm going to like help you. And to me, the sequence that I like is when he's getting pulled away, the boy's running away. And then we see in the background in a handstand, we see this jester version almost. The gold king. Yeah. But more dangerous now. Yeah. Doing a handstand. Unfolding himself. Yeah. And and then basically taking the kid. And this is mine. And and, and it's interesting because at this point in the film, J-Lo has made this promise to this kid. And I think that the reason why this sequence to me, it leads to something that I like quite a bit, but it's flimsy in that I understand that you want to save this kid, but this kid is the killer. Yeah. This, there is no saving this yeah, kid to be done. This kid does not exist. They're basically in a coma forever. Yeah. So her brother apparently had died in a coma. Yeah. He had been in a coma for something like six months before. Six months before he died, yeah. Yeah. So there was no saving him either. I don't know what she got into her head that she mm-hmm. could save this person or set them to rest with peace. I, I mm-hmm. don't know what well, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of stories about attempts at redemption. You know, Vince Vaughn was a prosecutor and a killer got away. And so because of the fact that a killer got away off of on something that he was the the lead prosecutor on, and then another victim was killed graphically, then he takes that guilt and that sense of responsibility, and now I'm going to catch these criminals as an FBI agent because apparently I couldn't cut it as a prosecutor. Oh, well, it's worked out rather well for him, I think. It's true, and then and and then J Lo on the other hand saying what what could have six months. In a coma, there was consciousness there. What if we could have had this technology then? Could we have saved him? And so she is constantly trying to save people when there's no... I don't know if what she wants is if you, by saving this boy and defeating this darkness, does she think he'll wake up? Yeah, which is, we've already been told that's not true. And with her brother, uh, apparently that wasn't true either. Mm-hmm. So these are just very, very selfish I want to feel better about myself it, kind it, of moments. It, it, it's 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 what I consider the weakest aspect, but it goes into a very cool sequence, which I like quite a bit. It does. But now that they're out and they really did what they were supposed to do, uh, Vince Vaughn is saying, listen, get a chopper. We're doing this. His team is funny because they just say, how do you know it's even real? And I was like, I guess I see their point. But on the same token, you've all been there for almost three day or two days um, trying to, f- and the only reason why you're there, not doing any other fucking police work, is because you think that you can find the information through the killer's subconscious. And now that you got the information and you're t- and you're following your only lead, now you say, well, what if it's not even real? So what? We should all just stay here. You're yeah. right. You're right. More time 
that's which we don't have. So that is is a weird throwaway line too, but that's nitpicky shit. But as he's doing that, by the way, we've kept c- cutting back to this woman. This is the victim. Yeah, as in the, this um, this glassed-in cell that yeah, keeps filling up full of water. It's totally automated. So it's it's like, but and she's been trying to get out of there herself by doing some shit, which will come into play because as JLo is going back into this world, everyone's saying, you don't have to do this anymore. They're literally like, no one's really trying to stop her, but they're also just saying, you don't have to do this. Yeah. Like, there's no reason for you to go back. We almost didn't get you back. Because your mind merged with this, which is important because you need to have your character in some kind of danger, I guess. Yeah. And But she wants to go back because she made a promise. I was like, I guess. But this is where she comes forward in this dream sequence as a Madonna, almost. like, Which is helpful, I think, because she dosed the lithium up to like the nth degree, as high as that fucking slider would go. Mm-hmm. So this is what the dreamland looks like on a fuck ton of lithium. Yeah, it's nice. It's peaceful. It's peaceful. Like and, lots of cherry blossoms, Madonna. Yeah, and the it's brightly the, lit. The boy's there and he tells a story. He turns into the adult version of himself and he tells a story about how when he was a kid he found a bird. And this bird was sick. It was had a broken leg or wing or whatever. The point was was he was attempting to nurse it back to health. And then he realized that if his father found out that the bird was there, his father would have done something horrible to it either made him kill the bird in a torturous fashion or sickeningly tortured the bird to death in front of him or whatever either way he would have got beat he yeah would have definitely got he would have gotten beat this. and you never know the next one could have been to death yeah so yeah. he decides to hold the bird underneath the water in the sink and drown the bird and that was it was better for the bird it was a it was a he saved the bird yeah basically it was a mercy killing hmm but no that's that psychology tracks as you had said mm-hmm. it fits into the way that this kid viewed self-preservation and viewed the victims that he'd been stalking mm-hmm. and probably viewed himself this idea about can i stay here forever this is a conversation he has when he reverts back to a boy so maybe this is what JLo's doing and we're giving her too much shit for no reason because she's basically taking this eight-year-old boy that lives within the mind of this madman and holding it under the sink. Yeah. Okay. There, there is that. Th- th- listen, it makes for a very interesting sequence. I like the uh, the um, the emotional subtext to it all. I like the bird story quite a bit, and I like the mirrored death of this boy. Mm-hmm. But and I also love the again more biblical imagery about when this darkness finds them. He always finds me. And this world, this paradise now has big bugs and a serpent swimming through the water. And that serpent manifests itself into our killer, who's now a snake-like... Slytherin. Yeah, Slytherin. <laughs> He's speaking His fucking... Parcel tongue. Parcel tongue. <laughs> That's what I kept getting from this, but uh, only for a second, because it is costume change time yet again. Oh, yeah. For Vincent D'Onofrio into the Snake King, I guess. Yeah. But then J-Lo goes from, you know... Madonna. Ma- the, ma- the Madonna to... Fucking, I kept, I kept trying to think about what she reminded me of, and I settled on, she looked a bit like Kate Beckinsale from the Van Helsing movie, that 
awful movie. I thought of uh, Snow White and the Huntsman or Artemis, some sort mm-hmm. of like Artemis, yeah. interesting uh, Greek I love mythology the, here. I like love that uh, crossbow, that gold, intricately uh, sculpted crossbow is very cool. She fucking beats this guy up. Which looks very similar in a way to the carver symbol that is on the table that was his downfall entirely. Mm-hmm. So it's some interesting visual symbology, I think, mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. on there. Mm-hmm. I love the just like the slow shot with the arrows and she brings out this awesome sword and she looks fucking badass. And he's mocking her because as he's dying, he's dying, quote unquote, blood is gushing out of his mouth he mockingly says it's not real letting her know that he knows where they are yeah and and so that means if this is not real you can't kill me because i know you can't kill me because you're not actually doing anything to me and that to me is awesome i fucking love that i love that he is not he is not delusional about where they are. He mm-hmm. understands where they are. And maybe if she never entered that place, she wouldn't have. But now that their minds were merged, she had submitted to his mind in that space. You have to presume he knows everything that she does. Yeah, yeah. And so the only way to do it is to, as he's pinned there with arrows and a sword, the only way to do it is to drown the boy who now is in turn wounded. You have to kill the boy to do it. And this is something that she didn't want to do initially when he had suggested it in his little boy form or 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 whatever. But now it's something that needs to be done. And it's interesting because the serpent king is not stopping her from doing it either. No, he's mostly just laughing on the ground, but he is also a psychological construct. Mm-hmm. The thing that is closest now to the actual Carl is this little boy yeah. that also wants this guy to die. Mm-hmm. And always has. Because yeah. this voice has been in his mind in the form of schizophrenia since he was young. Yeah, And he's never liked it. It's another scary entity, no more different than his real-life father was in the real world. Mm-hmm. It's like having a father of his trapped in his mind mm-hmm. definitely wants to be rid of that i don't think it quite enters her mind that this will physically kill him entirely so i don't think she wanted to be a murderer because that's fucking buck wild to me the mm-hmm. fact that they got the information because while this is happening vince vaughn gets to the tank it's completely full of water but thanks to this woman's ingenuity she managed to take a pipe out that was probably pumping air into the space anyways, and she's been breathing out that. I think it was the sprinkler system from the silo up top, because as soon as the silo up top was emptied, it seemed to be filling from the bottom on yeah. from the second silo. So I guess all that's left in the first silo is air, so mm-hmm. she can breathe through that luckily, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Mm-hmm. Who knows how long she'd been treading water there for. Yeah. I think she'd largely given up that she was going to be saved whatsoever. Yeah, and then eventually she was, and you know, Vince Vaughn's like showing her a badge and then basically empties his clip into this glass, which is cracking but not breaking, and then he hits it with a pipe and then the water fucking spills out and she's okay, they got her. And so this person's been saved. JLo goes back into this fucking guy's head, which to the outside viewer would be to kill him. <laughs> No, it's to save him, Wes. I suppose killing people is like saving them. Well, when you're talking about drowning birds, yes. 
you know, when we watched Silent Hill, they were burning people to save them. Yep. It's purification ritual. It is. Just like holding this little boy underwater is his purification ritual to kill the snake man, Voldemort, that's inside of him. Basically. Yeah. You uh, boiled the cell down into terms that people of this generation can understand. That's true. And I'm very good at that. And then w- there's no consequences to that. Like, she just, she leaves this consciousness. Yeah. And then she con- she takes his dog. I love that she takes his dog. I, I hate that the one FBI agent says that it's creepy or weird. I don't think that's weird at all. What would you do? Send this dog to a pound? Yeah. No. It's a perfectly fine dog. It's yeah. a wonderful dog. And you pointed out it might be expensive. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's an albino dog, which is rare enough and it's a fully trained dog and if you wanted to trick people into thinking that the dog got hit by a car so you could murder them the dog is ready made it's a perfect dog i would like this dog i never want to have another dog but i would have this dog valentine uh whose actual name is tim yeah by the way less romantic name but it's okay i wouldn't call him valentine or tim what would you call him i don't know probably q-tip 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 or W? I like that. No, I'd, I'd probably call him Aloysius. Aloysius? Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call him Valentine. I wouldn't call him Tim. Call him Alabaster. Alabaster. No, I'd probably call him Snowy. Yeah, you know what? I would too. I'd just be like, eh, whatever. It's all Tintin. I'll just call him Oh, call God. Him. I'd call him Snowflake. <laughs> okay, there you go. So I could sing, hey, hey, Snowflake. <laughs> then she goes, Vince Vaughn and all of them are in the killer's house just wrapping up i guess he's got a lot of uh, pictures all over the wall one in particular is of something that oh may have inspired his torture of vince vaughn's character where it's an old renaissance painting basically of uh someone being martyred it looks like or it's like mm-hmm. a witchcraft trial yeah. uh, i think it's someone being martyred of having their their entrails pulled out by this spit almost spit. have you ever seen that before that was the first time i'd ever seen that particular thing method of torture method of torture of pulling someone's entrails out via their belly button yeah uh looking through torture books of torture machines it's definitely in there cool yeah that was my first encountering it it really captured my imagination that really that image really stuck with me well then you may enjoy scenes of turbo kid where they use a similar (laughs) device crafted from a bicycle it's true yeah yeah i do have uh, i do have turbo kid um yeah, so I think that uh, it's a pretty good way to wrap everything up. JLo comes to this new determination when she goes to visit the house. Vince Vaughn is there, and they kind of have like this vague handshake. It's awkward. I was like, what are you guys trying to say? I was like, I know they made out in the dreamscape once, but I don't think she really has any memory of that. Well, I don't think they really made out there. She was trying to seduce him, but it was yeah. like the, the yeah, it wasn't a make out. It wasn't a make out. I'm really glad that they don't make out or like go on a date. Or well, that would be dumb. Like, I, I, and and I would think if they did go that route with this, I would have been like, where'd this come from? The only dumber ending is for them to have a conversation on the black bumper of an ambulance. <laughs> the styrofoam cups the styrofoam cups of like tea or, or coffee and they got blankets over them and then they say something like tomorrow's another day and the dog barks and they giggle yeah <laughs> freeze frame credits yeah. the end question mark and then and then we learn that JLo is now not afraid to go into this kid's mind 
this Edward kid when she was treating this entire film. Then she, th- then the, the ending of the implication is that now in his mind they can reach that connection that they can't. So, you know, she's gonna make it after all, and this kid she's gonna help, and that's it. Guess so. Yeah. If she can, like, snap him out of his schizophrenia, masquerading as autism coma thing for his parents' sake before they pull all the plug on their money, that is most of their funding. Ridiculous. But, you know, aside from the whole Edward story and her wanting to help and save people, uh, I do really enjoy the the imagery of this film. Mm -hmm. I think that this movie was really ahead of its time in a lot of ways and was really pushing the boundaries of cinematography and special effects in a world that was really trying to visually mimic very successful films that were out of the time. And if you look back on numerous attempts after The Matrix to to do something like this cinematically, so many of those things just failed. So many of this new idea of people putting so much CGI and special effects into their pictures like kids that have just discovered masturbation too much and it looked awful. This looks fantastic. And the this will stand the test of time. And I didn't think that it would. I thought, oh man, we're going to watch this movie and I bet you these CGI sequences are going to look painfully bad. Painfully bad. Because bad CGI is so hard to hide. It is so hard to fix. But when you look at this film, there's so little of it. And it is so subtly used. Yeah, it's true. But even even the fact that it's in there at all sometimes can like stand out really badly for me. And I, I, was, I was prepared to be liking some of the sequences in this movie and, and really disliking others. I think that for me, the movie is the dream sequences... The FBI stuff and the the, uh, the procedural aspects in the real world. Uh, I mean, I really wish that there was just more dream sequences because when it's not that, the movie is very drab. Very drab to look at. It's a lot of grays. It's a lot of boring suits. It's a lot of people sitting at desks. It's a lot of still shots. And I suppose... It's like, that- it's like X-Files with no chupacabra. Yeah, that's right, right? And so I think that the whole time you're watching the movie, you just okay, get to the thing, get to the get to the thing. Now, when they have when they cut to to moments of Vincent D'Onofrio in the real world as a serial killer, yeah, that's interesting to me. But the the second they're just these long expository scenes or people just talking around a desk, I find myself really becoming uninterested in what's happening and I just want them to get to the to the to the visual stimulation. Maybe that's my adolescent brain. Partially, but luckily they are very short. They are very short. It just, uh, I definitely found my attention waning in those parts, but I'd say for every other aspect, especially towards the end of this movie, really, really solid. And it's not a long a sit as I thought it was. I thought no, I thought it was an, a two hour plus movie. I don't know why. I wish that every movie was like 89 minutes long. I don't know how long this is, but yeah, it's not a super long movie, which I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, not unlike Sunlit Hill, you know, and that's why we had, we'd gone into this like CGI fast, semi-forgotten, quasi-made-fun-of films mm-hmm. that you don't want to live in the real world. You're not interested in the real world aspect of what's going on. You're more interested in the dreamscape or a Silent Hill, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the dreamscape here definitely does hold up in, and more so than a lot of these sci-fi thrillers do of the time. Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't know why people make fun of this the way that they do. I think I, that they it, maybe it, watched it once or not at all. And it's the, it's J-Lo. It's I swear thing. to you. I be, Well, you know what? I'm basing that off of one conversation. But the second that someone just sort of crosses their arms and says, I don't want to watch a Jennifer Lopez movie. That to me is, you know, it doesn't matter what the movie is about because you think it's going to be bad when I think that's weird. I understand that she is a popular actress and she was working a lot and was, you know, there was a lot of her hits were playing on the radio the at Jenny that from time. Jenny the Block. At this time, she was Jenny from the Block. Oh, for sure. Jenny from the Block. And then the whole Benefer thing where people were hating her because of the overexposure of her relationship with Ben Affleck. And and then she did uh, Jersey Girl and then they did Geely or, yeah, which were you know, notoriously bad films that people didn't really like to fucking even acknowledge. Really? So I, I enjoyed Jersey Girl, but I never watched her other films. Yeah, like, I also I, really I also liked uh, Jersey Girl because yeah. it was a good movie. But, I mean, I'm just talking about, like, public perception. Mm-hmm. And so people... And again, even though 17 fucking years later, people still are... Oh, it's... Oh, no, no. There's So that tells you, even when this movie is hitting its 20th anniversary in just a couple of years... I guarantee you people will still be remembering, oh, no, 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 Benefer. I'm like, oh, my God, you guys. That fucking news story can vote now. <laughs> why, like, why, why are you holding on to this? But the second you describe to people what the cell is and you don't mention Jennifer Lopez, at least in my experience, people become interested in this movie. So I don't know what we have coming up next. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. But then I realized, uh-oh. No, yeah, we're all out of ideas. We're all out of ideas. We'll think of something. Uh, if it's up to me, it's clown films. We could have about three or four clown films coming at you because okay. it's left up to me. And my birthday is coming up. Your birthday is coming up. I don't know. I, I, we have uh, a lot of stuff that I was thinking of. I was thinking about Evil Speak. I was thinking about, um, God, what was that vampire movie? Innocent Blood? Yeah, Innocent Blood. Really? I haven't watched it, so I had left that in your capable hands. Yeah, yeah, So I'm not sure, but a clown film also could be on the docket. I don't yeah, know. I've got about four in my yeah, brain yeah. that I want to do, because we're going to do um, some Stephen King fun later on, because uh, they really are more like summer, spring and summer movies, or else we would have a bunch of that coming at you. Mm-hmm. But I do have uh, clown films at the ready. I still have Clown Town that was bought for me by Chris for my last birthday, mm-hmm. so I definitely want to hit that uh, as a counterpart to clown. Um, I do want to do Clown House, although I don't want to talk about Victor Salva. I just want to do the film as if the man and the film are completely separate. And I think that if anyone can accomplish that, we can accomplish that. But we'll have to see because there are other clown films to choose from. 31 created so much buzz when it came out and I enjoyed it very, very much as much as I enjoyed Circus of the Dead. And then there's also The Last Circus, which ties into that very much. Uh, and those are all clown-heavy films. So I've got something to choose from, that's for sure. You do. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, um, on my blog coming up, there's going to be some vampire book reviews. I've got two vampire books, one from Nancy Kilpatrick and one from Nelson Piles that I'm going to be reviewing shortly. So by the time this airs, one, if not both of them, will be up. Mm. So that's what's going to be eating up my time in the next week or two while we decide what the hell movie to do next. Mm -hmm. And also, if you guys are interested, I was interviewed on another podcast called The Shopcast and... That is uh, the comic book shop in Ottawa has its own podcast. It's a really good show. And they had me on. And we talk about everything from all of my upcoming comic book projects from Princeless. 
to Teresa, to Alaris, and we talk about horror in depth. I ramble. He asked me a very simple question about why horror, and I'm certain I spoke for 10 minutes straight. And then I apologize for being so long-winded, and I basically covered the last century of, uh, of horror cinema in that answer about why horror. And we talk about even uh, he wanted to know my opinion about uh, comic books, Brian Michael Bendis uh, going over to DC, what I thought about that. We talked about Deadpool 2. We talked about Golden Girls. We, t- we talk about it all. Jesus, that's quite the cast. I've listened to the shop cast before, um, so I'll definitely be tuning into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully he cuts out all the parts where I sound like a dummy. But uh. <laughs> And also, I put a little teaser up for one of the pages for Teresa. So if you guys want to go to Spotter Pictures on Facebook or if you go to my Twitter or Instagram, you can see a little snippet of uh, one of the pages that we have done. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah, I did look at that. Yeah. And also tune in to Panels of Blood. Yes, you tune into Panels of Blood. I am in this spot where I really want to do something. A, I want to do something for Christmas. And B, I want to do something. I want to get into a new story heavily. So we don't know. Maybe next time, and I would say we always mean me, the royal we, we might be doing some uh, uh, more Tales from the Crypt. I'm not exactly certain, but it's episode 30 coming up. So Man, I know. Time flies, right? (laughs) There's got to be some sort of like... A horror, weird, or creepy, how or Christmas type edition, or like Casper's Christmas. I, I Casper's Christmas. I'm thinking. I'm I'm vaguely certain there's a Krampus comic book. Yeah. Um. I also was thinking about doing Hookjaw, which is a a shark horror comic. But I was thinking maybe that's more for summer because that is water. very summer. I was just gonna say, is it Hookjaw in Christmas? Like is this a Christmas <laughs> Hookjaw no. with a Santa hat. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a, a really cool Elseworlds story uh, for Batman where he's a vampire and he's killing his rogues gallery. So. Uh, by eating them <laughs> so there's i was like maybe i could like hit something like that and i still been very interested in doing some swamp thing stories hmm. so there's a lot of there's a lot of things in my head that i'd be very interested in doing but to also it's winter time so revival tim seeley's revival series that all takes place and well a large chunk of it takes place in winter especially the first volume so it's a snowy rural town type story which I think it's really cool. Yeah. So there's a million possibilities. I'm wondering if any lock and key takes place around Christmas. Lock and key? That oh, totally forgot about that. That would be another really cool one to do. It would be. It would be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we'll have to we'll have to announce on like Twitter or something what we're doing next. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really I'm really bad at this planning thing. Really, really <laughs> bad bad at this planning thing. I've been mostly looking forward to the um, and this is a couple episodes away, but buying torture cast crap up. We should maybe just do a crap up. Or not a crap up. I keep saying crap up because it's so hilarious to my childish brain. <laughs> but some sort of like wrap up. And that might eat up some time when we don't decide. We have no idea what we're fucking going to do for the next uh, month or so. So I talk about the stuff that we did this year or the 2017? Could be. Or looking forward. Looking forward, yeah. Any of the things that we forgot to say about films? Those wonderful gems that we forgot to say while we're recording the show Mm -hmm. about particular films. I get that a lot sometimes. Yeah, me too. Sometimes I'm lying in bed and I think to myself, oh, fuck, I should have said something about that. Something in my notes I get entirely derailed and forget to mention. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it would be worth it. Or not. 
We could just do clown films from here to the beginning of the year. I think that's one of the things that people are going to take away the most from this episode is the end where they say, wow, there's a lot of clown films. That's just off the top of her head. By the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.